at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years no interest plus five months no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com radio or call 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Now, I was listening to the, the sports report, and I hope wisconsin sports fans appreciate what what a a golden age we're we're really in now think about it last summer the milwaukee bucks win the nba championship the brewers win their division handily now the the baseball season didn't quite end like everybody wanted it to but i mean a very very successful season won a ton of games 94 games 95 games whatever that was an incredibly successful baseball season it morphs into the football season and here we have the, the divisional playoffs coming up on saturday the packers are six and a half point favorites or six point favorites or whatever that might be but just an, an incredible green bay packer football season so you've got the nba championship You've got an extremely successful um, baseball season by the Brewers. You've got the Packers who are <clears throat> poised to, to make it to and win the Super Bowl. Now, again, who knows what can happen, but no, no matter how you look at it, it's been an amazing season for the Packers. On top of that, you have the University of Wisconsin men's basketball team um, solidly in the top ten in the country. You have my Marquette basketball team, which kind of started off a little rocky. New coach, Saka Smart, but but they've won five in a row, including beating a couple ranked teams. Big win yesterday against Villanova, and and they're they're moving up. They are a huge surprise. And, and then you've got the Milwaukee Bucks, who while they've had sort of an up and down season, it's very clear that when they have their best players back and. Play playing on the court together, and they're intense, I, I don't know that there's a team that's better than them in the NBA. So if you're sitting there and saying, okay, well, we can write the Bucks off, I, I don't b- believe that. Now, a lot in the NBA depends on injuries and things like that. But, I mean, just think about this. You look at the Packers, you look at the Bucks, you look at the Brewers, you look at Marquette basketball, you look at UW basketball, and, you know, UW football had a pretty good season as well. I hope people appreciate what really a golden age this is. And for those of us who grew up in this area and we can remember all the, the lean years when, you know, before Ron Wolf became the general manager of the Packers, it seemed like, you know, we, we were Green Bay was sort of this vast wasteland and the Brewers, you know, <clears throat> maybe maybe they could compete to maybe eke into the playoffs, but most years, you know, they, they, they were out of it by Labor Day, certainly, and now you've got all this stuff going on, and I just hope we can step back and just appreciate what a special time this really is. Now, I would not be presumptuous enough to suggest that maybe this guy was listening to the program on Tuesday, but he did follow the advice that I offered. I'm talking about Derek Ellis. Derek Ellis, is the Milwaukee man who's charged in connection with the fatal shooting of the 16-year-old girl at the Burger King on the city's north side a couple weeks ago, January 2nd. He's apparently now in custody. We, we talked about this during the 12 o'clock hour of the program a couple days ago, and, and my suggestion was, boy, he, he's made matters worse by, by running. And apparently Mr. Ellis came to that same conclusion himself because he retained an attorney and he's turned himself in. Why did he make it better, worse for himself by running? Well, well, here's the deal. And this this case, again, it's right 
It's right out of a Hollywood movie, but unfortunately, it's real life. This was the story that if the criminal complaint is correct, you have a Burger King employee, young girl, her and her father hatch this plan to rob the Burger King, and they enlist one of the other 16-year-old employees, the Burger King cashier, Nisha Harris Brazell. So the plan, and we this is, again, it's one of these stories that you hear it, and you go, my gosh, that, that can't be the case. But this is what the state says happened. They hatched this plan where it would be a staged robbery. The father of the one of the two employees, not the father of the girl who got shot, the father of the employee wearing a mask and carrying gun, a gun would pull up to the drive-through window, make it appear like it was a robbery after the Burger King had closed when the cash register was presumably at its most full. And the 16-year-old girl who got shot, she was supposed to go along with this, hey, it's a robbery, he's got a gun. They were supposed to then just hand over the money and it was all going to be the, this inside job. Well, what happened to kind of Thwart this was that Derek Ellis, who was another employee at the restaurant, who um, routinely apparently carried a, a gun while at work, and maybe you can, the manager apparently knew that that he he did that. And I guess you can understand with what goes on in the city of Milwaukee. If you're you know working at a place at 51st and Capitol, maybe you have a legitimate fear that you you could in fact be the subject of a robbery. Now the problem with Ellis is that he has a felony conviction from 2014 in Michigan, so he's not legally allowed to carry a gun. But he had the gun there nonetheless. So anyhow, he's working at the Burger King that night. This whole staged robbery occurs. He comes in in the middle of it and sees the father who of the girl. He, the father's got a mask on. He's got a gun in his hand. He's coming through the Burger King drive through window. And at that point in time, Ellis pulls out his gun, fires a couple shots, and in the, the melee, ends up shooting Nisha Harris Brazil, the 16-year-old girl. He's not trying to shoot her. He's trying to shoot at the guy that's supposedly robbing the place. Well, the, the whole thing then goes, goes bad in a, in a big way. And Ellis, he ends up running. Yeah, which, as I was arguing the other day, was the worst possible thing to do because, at least the way I look at this case, I, I think if the facts are as the state alleges, this is a clear-cut case of, of, of self-defense. I mean, you're in this place, you see a guy with a gun and a mask coming through that drive through window. I think you have every right, and I think the, the DAs could probably agree, that he has every right to use deadly force to try to protect himself and other people. Maybe I'll be wrong, but so far he hasn't been charged with anything other than felon in possession of a firearm. Instead of simply say, staying and owning up to what he did, which was felon in the possession of a firearm, he ended up taking off and therefore made it a lot worse. Now he has turned himself in and does need to be held accountable in this particular situation. But I guess I look at this and think, well, all right, if the facts are as the state says, and you have a situation where the guy shouldn't have had the gun, but in this particular case was using the gun for what I think we would describe not only a legitimate purpose, but also, I mean, he's trying to stop the robber. He's trying to save other people's lives. Now, unfortunately, he ended up shooting the 16-year-old girl, which is 
what happens when you start these things in, in motion and crimes of violence and such like that. It's unfortunate, but from a legal perspective, I think it would be very difficult to hold Ellis accountable for that. So he's now in a situation where he's a felon in possession of a firearm. He needs to be held accountable. I assume that there will be these charges that will be pursued, and I, I, he sounds to me like he's, he's guilty of that. I mean, it's pretty much an open and shut case. Are you a felon? Did you have a gun? Well, if that's the case, you know, guilty. But as far as the disposition, I don't think that there's going to be any sort of accountability with regard to the, the shooting and things like that, because based on the facts that are out there now, seems like the shooting is, in fact, legitimate. So by turning himself in, I think he's ultimately ended up doing the right thing, because he's going to have to answer for having the gun, and I assume and hope that he would be treated like other felons in Milwaukee County are treated when they're caught in possession of a gun. But as far as causing death and things like that, I don't know that you're going to see charges. And if you do see charges, I think it's going to be very difficult to make those charges stick. Back with more in just a minute. Thanks for joining me today. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. So delighted to have you with us. The CDC, I think, has hurt itself over the last couple of years. And I understand there's some people who just say, well, you, it, we, you, you've got to do everything that the CDC says and everything that Dr. Fauci says. And it doesn't matter if, if they, they change their advice um, on, a, on a dime because, well, science changes and all, all those types of things. And, and the problem with that is that a lot of things I think that they're doing aren't necessarily based on science. It's kind of like knee-jerk reactions to, to circumstances. Like they say, okay, if you have COVID, you, you're supposed to quarantine for 10 days. But then when they realize that so many people are getting COVID, that that means that you can't have doctors and nurses and pilots and people. Well, then we change the guidance to five days. And, and it's not necessarily that it's science that's driving it. It's, okay, reality, which is which is fine. But let's, let's admit that and let's understand it, it's, in many respects, it's fueled by, you know, what we're now seeing where we're saying, okay, well, unlike what Joe Biden said last year, where we were going to be able to eliminate COVID, it, it's not the case. We're figuring out how to live with COVID. And and that's, I think, one of the, the key things that's there, this kind of balancing that's out there. But I do wonder sometimes whether some of these scientists or medical professionals who sit in a room and come out with these pronouncements have any clue about the real world and about how real people will react to things. And and one of the most recent examples of CDC guidance is getting a lot of that attention. And in fact, it's being largely ignored across the country. A week and a half ago, two weeks ago, as part of their, their new guidance as a result of the, the spread of the Omicron variant, the CDC encouraged schools, K through 12, to shut down most in-person extracurricular activities. Now, first of all, they said, okay, in any area where there's a high transmission rate of COVID-19, which, by the way, translates into about 95% of the country right now. So essentially, we're talking about all across the country. The CDC encouraged schools to cancel high-risk extracurricular activities. What is a high-risk extracurricular activity? Any extracurricular activity defined as, quote, those in which increased exhalation occurs, such as activities that involve singing, shouting, band, or exercise, 
especially when conducted indoors. So no choir, no band, um, no exercise. They also said as far as sports, well, things like football, things like wrestling, anything where there's going to be close in-person contact, that should also be canceled. Well, a number of people are saying, wait, wait a second, let, let's back off here a step. Um, this, when, when you're talking about, now admittedly, no, nobody wants to get sick, but at the same time, isn't there a consequence for example, to the students of saying, we're going to take away your extracurricular activities. No, no basketball, because you're, you're going to be close. No wrestling, no choir, no band, nothing where you're going to interact. My guess is you'd have to cancel debate teams and things like that because you're going to be exhaling. You're going to have, you know, kids that are going to be in a room and they're going to be talking through masks. But, but no more band concerts, no more choir. Um, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, everybody appreciates that you, you've got to take COVID seriously. I, I get it. And everybody, I think, also appreciates that you don't want to do anything that's going to lead to super spreader events, even though Dr. Fauci says a week ago, hey, everybody's going to get COVID. And we also know that especially among young people, if you get COVID, you know, that the consequences statistically are not necessarily going to be that great. But nobody wants to get it. I understand that. So let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In the guise of protecting kids from getting sick, should we for the next month, two months, three months, who knows how long this is going to last, should we cancel extracurricular activities that involve essentially breathing? Because that's what it's going to be. 855-616-1620. My point is, I, I think... This, this is one of the things where I think the CDC hurts itself because my guess is the vast majority of parents, the vast majority of administrators, and the overwhelming majority of students are going to say, wait, wait, wait a second. You know, we're, we're going out to movie theaters. We're going out to basketball games. We're doing this stuff on our own. We're going to gyms. We're going to the YMCA and things like that. But you're going to tell us that we can't have our extracurricular activities. And what does that do for kids? kids, many of whom live for those extracurricular activities. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we be canceling band, choir, wrestling, and basketball, among others, in order to keep people safe? 855-616-1620. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. The road to the big game goes through Green Bay on tap this weekend as a matchup between the Packers and the 49ers with kickoff this Saturday night at 7.15. Hear the game and every playoff game right here on the home of the Packers. 620 WTMJ coverage of the Green and Gold playoffs is presented by Annex Wealth Management. Let's start with Jean in Whitewater. Jean, good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Jean. I don't feel I don't feel we should shut down the kids' extracurricular activities. I just feel that we keep shutting down things uh, we're already losing a lot of mom pa places uh, the restaurants the grocery stores and it's sad to see this happening and the kids look live for their extracurricular activities i got a grandson that would just kill him to, to miss his wrestling and his extracurricular activities he does on the side yeah it yeah, I mean, Gene, thanks a lot for the call. It, see, that's it. For a lot of kids, they 
they live to to participate in the, these extracurricular activities. I mean, in many respects, it, it's what keeps a lot of kids going to school and active in school. I mean, here's a text that makes that point. Jeff, my son just had a wrestling tournament with almost 500 kids from cities all over Wisconsin and northern Illinois. Clearly, the CDC hasn't penetrated Washington County yet. Laugh out loud. Well, actually, that's not that, that's not unusual because. Most school districts, I think, across the country, not all, but most school districts are just ignoring this advice because they view it as being completely and totally unrealistic, impractical, and unnecessary, which is one of the things that ends up hurting the CDC when it comes out with these these rulings that do not reflect the way that real people want to interact. And see, and my question would be also, all right, so let, let's say you cancel the, the choir practices, and let's say you cancel, I don't know, the, the band practices or whatever. What is that, what do you think the kids are going to do? Do you think the kids are just going to go home and hunker down in their basement? Well, no, they're, they're going to hang out, they're going to go, you know, out to the Starbucks and they're going to sit with their friends at the Starbucks or they're going to go to the malls or they're going to go to the gyms and they're going to start doing this stuff anyways. It's not like they're not going to socialize. It's not like they're not going to interact. It's not like they're not going to be in close quarters. So why would you say, why would you take one of the activities where there could at least be a modicum of of regulation and and say, okay, we're, we're going to take this away from you because it's not like there's not going to be a socialization. Here's a text. Jeff, not only is it not good for their social welfare, but the conditioning of the kids' physical abilities need to be maintained as well. Well, that, that's that's it. Jeff, why should the kids suffer and the NFL still having their Super Bowls, the NFL, NBA still having basketball games, but the kids can't? Well, well right, especially, especially since this is a situation where the, the kids are I don't know that there's any sort of evidence suggesting that you know the, the band concert or the choir concert is the super spreader event. I have a text from somebody saying we need to shut down everything. We need to stop the spread any way we can. Well, all right, then what you should do is show me the documentation, show me the statistics that say that having that band concert right now is in fact that super spreader event that having the wrestling tournament is in fact the super spreader event and if you can't show me that it's any worse to have that choir concert than it is to I, I don't know, have people going to the malls on a Saturday afternoon or going to, you know, college basketball games or things like that, how can you take that extracurricular event away from them? And I do understand there is a certain subset of the population who is just, oh, we, we can't do anything. We, we just need to lock everybody up in the basement until COVID passes. Even the Biden administration, I think, is shifting from that, recognizing that we got to figure out a way to live with COVID moving forward, and that doesn't include telling kids that they can't participate in their extracurricular activity events. How much more do we want to heap on children? We've lost two years with virtual learning, so now we're going to take away extracurricular activities as well? I don't think so. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One final text on the CDC recommendation that we shut down extracurricular activities. Jeff, I'm a high school basketball coach in a smaller school. We have 31 boys on our high school team. We have had three separate cases of COVID during our entire season. There is nothing that suggests that we are a super spreader as a team because, candidly, the kids could have gotten it anywhere. And we are not wearing masks during games. Most spectators are not as well. I think everything is fine to continue, to which my response would be, yeah, I'm I'm with you. All right, so Joe. Biden
Biden has a press conference yesterday, two-hour press conference, and, and I don't want to critique the press conference. The, the opinions are all over the map. There's lots of people out there that think it was just a, a debacle. There's others who think, oh, my gosh, this guy is the second coming of you know FDR. How, 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 how amazing. But here, here's, here's the reality, though. Joe Biden is not doing well among pub, the pub, general public impression. Now, look, I, I understand that there's some people who just don't trust polls. And my point has always been you can't have it both ways. You know, you either believe in the polls or, or you don't. I think, in general, that pollsters do a reasonably good job, with the exception of Donald Trump. They, it, it's There's a lot of people who are, are Trump supporters who wouldn't admit to it, and I think Trump's support has always been dramatically underestimated in polls. But be, in, beyond that, I, I think, in general, the, the polls do a, a pretty good job, especially when you start to see a consistency. So I, I was just I just pulled up the Biden numbers for the, the just the last couple polls. NBC News. 44% approval rate, 54% disapproval rate. That's a, So he's underwater by 10 points. Rasmussen, which tends to be a Republican-leaning poll, 40% approval, 58% disapproval. That's, he's underwater by 18 points. Trafalgar Group, 39% approval, 59% disapproval. That, that's a 20-point disapproval rating. Uh, Politico's polls, approval 40%, disapproval 56%. So he's underwater 16% there. Um, economists um, a, a poll, approval 42%, disapproval 53%. You, you get the idea. It goes on and on. The Gallup poll, approval 40 disapproval 56%. You understand kind of where we're going. Reuters, Reuters from about a week ago has it a little closer. He's only underwater by five points. But the general consensus of the polls is that Biden, the disapproval rating has has just increased dramatically. And people, at least at this point in time, are not satisfied with the Biden administration. Again, you, you can argue because I don't believe polls at all, but I think you, you do that at your, your peril. And I always say that to both political parties. And, and right now... Biden's approval ratings are completely and totally in the tank. Doesn't mean it can't change around. Doesn't mean that next November people might not might see things differently. Doesn't mean that you know two years from now people or three years from now might not seem see them differently. But right now, I think it's impossible to argue that that Biden's numbers are absolutely awful. So at his press conference yesterday, um, you have a president who. Really, forget the buck stops here sort of thing. He he kind of, well, he, he went off and, and he started talking about all the, the successes he had. He says he thinks he's outperformed and he's delivered enormous progress. And the only problem is Americans just don't understand all that he's done. He has no apologies for what happened in Afghanistan. He says that inflation that Americans are seeing, it's not because of any poor policies. It's just the the supply chain. He's satisfied with the government's response to COVID-19. He thinks that they've done remarkably well. He says, well, yeah, maybe we could have done testing a little bit earlier, but with everything else going on, I don't view that as a mark of incompetence. Um, it, It goes on and on and on. It was just essentially 
you know, denial that, okay, we're, we're doing, we're doing really well. And then it was the attack mode. It was, look, here, here's the deal. These upcoming elections, they might not be valid because of those Republicans that are involved in voter suppression. You know, all this, this spending that I want to do, this, this two trillion dollars in spending or three trillion dollars in spending, everything would be fine if those evil Republicans would just kind of get out of the way. So there was this big time attack on, on the Republicans. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Joe Biden ran for office and won by being the unifier. He was going to be the alternative to Donald Trump. He was going to be the guy that's not the flamethrower that, that's out there. He was going to be the guy that brings this whole country together and everything's going to be rosy and it's going to be morning in America again. Well, th- that's not the Joe Biden we've seen over the last couple weeks. The Joe Biden we've seen is there's nothing to see here. Everything is fine. And it would be even better if it were just the Republicans that, you know, those racist Republicans, if they would just get out of the way. So that's the strategy they're going to use. Nothing to see here and lay it all in the Republicans' laps. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, but I just think this is the absolute, complete, total, wrong way to to go about things. I, I think the thing that generated a lot of support in the beginning for Joe Biden was the fact that he was going to be that that kinder, gentler president. He he wasn't going to be the, the chaos man, magnet that Donald Trump was. He wasn't going to be the flamethrower. He was going to be the guy that tried to bring things together. That has obviously failed. So it seems to me his new strategy is, okay, I'm going to go on the attack. To me, that's the recipe, refusing to acknowledge the failures, refusing to acknowledge Afghanistan, refusing to acknowledge the failures on COVID, refusing to acknowledge and appreciate the significance of what's going on with inflation. It, it almost and strikes me as being just almost delusional without recognizing all, all the stuff that has gone wrong in the last year. And if the strategy is we're going to go on the attack and that's going to increase my popularity numbers, well, I, I don't think so because you're still doing okay among your Democratic base, but nobody else is buying it. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is an attack strategy the way to turn things around for the president? My answer is absolutely not. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of our texters says, Jeff, creating fake racism to further divide the nation is utterly disgusting. That's one of the things that I do think is unforgivable, is a speech that uh, President Biden gave in Georgia last week where he, he essentially said that that anybody who opposed this this national quote unquote voting act which would have essentially federalized a lot of elections and said to different states that you you can't have this rule or that rule or whatever um, I, I, th- that you're a racist I, I mean seriously that that's the that's the type of stuff if on the flip side you would have heard it come from Donald Trump two years ago well everybody on the left would be outraged but because it's Biden you know okay well we're going to give him a pass on this I'm just saying I don't think that's the recipe trying to okay say that 
the 50 plus percent of the country who doesn't agree with you or disapproves of your job performance that, that they're racist. I don't think that's the way to, to win them back. And, you know, one of our texters said, well, what should he have done? Just got up there and said, I suck? No. You, you, you could have, there's all sorts of things you, that you could have had that press conference and said, look, we've had unprecedented challenges that, that have come here. I, I understand the concerns about Afghanistan, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think I'm ultimately going to be proved um, correct on all those sort of things. Um, yes, I, I understand that I thought, I, I promised that we were going to end COVID, uh, but at the same time, you know, we, we had this variant. We did not see it coming. I want to own that. You know, we we should have had more testing. We should have spent, you know, the first six months of last year gearing up for tests. We should have anticipated. We didn't. We need to do better as opposed to, well, there, there's nothing to see here. One of the things that Biden ran against Trump on successfully was the allegation that Trump had screwed up in failing to anticipate where COVID was going. 855 which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's uh, start with Wendy. Uh, Wendy and Vernon, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, I just want to say that I agree with you. Hi, I agree, I agree with you on most points about uh, President Biden, what he said. I, I, don't, I think people are forgetting that this was a global pandemic, and that the trickle-down effect of everything has just, it's made, it's, there's no easy solutions. The gas prices, I mean, so much is supply and demand. There's people are out. And I think that this pandemic two years ago, they thought it was going to be a lot easier to fix. Even if testing goes up, there's so many people I know that have, they thought they tested negative, and then they got a PCR test. It was positive. So all that time they're out, they're spreading it. I'm hoping that the variants are less and less dangerous. But there's, there's, everybody's blaming this president when, when President Trump, was really riding on the coattails of a great economy under Obama. And it's kind of funny because the Republicans now are like, oh, we can't have all this debt. Trump raised the debt in one year, 22%. Boy, you didn't well, hear a thing let, about let, that. Let, let's, talk, let's, talk about, let's talk about COVID, Wendy, because... I think, uh-huh. you know, when, when Joe Biden ran for office, the, the argument was uh-huh. Donald Trump failed to appreciate COVID and the significance and, and, and failed to get us right. mobilized. And, and that was a successful, that was an argument that ended up working. Okay, so then Biden sure. comes in, okay, we're going to end COVID, et cetera, et cetera, and, and he hasn't. It's, it's arguably as bad now as it ever was. Does he have to own that? I mean, yeah. if you ran on, yeah, okay, that's, I, I guess, I, that's my I only do. point. I do yeah, I think he does, but I do think that um, people have to understand that this was a way, it was way worse than people ever thought it was going to be. Um, and I think people like me know Biden wasn't the perfect choice, but to get Trump out of office is basically all we had. And, I mean, I, it's going to take a while to solve this problem. There's just so many, it's not like, oh, cut the money off, people go back to work. These states did that this past summer, and there really was no different effect of how people went back to work. There's just so many different, you know, things to blame, and it's, it boils down a lot of this. This is a global pandemic. Look at people got fed up and they want to fly. Well, there's not enough airplanes in the sky. There's not enough crew. There's just so many right. different factors of this, and I just don't think you can – 
blame it all on this administration, even though I'm okay, well, Wendy, a lot of people. Well, no, Wendy, thanks for the call. Look, I don't think anybody is, is blaming it all on the administration. But I, I think the, the problem is you have, if you listen to these some of these presentations, for example, the one that came yesterday, you almost get the sense that you have a president who is divorced from reality because he, he, he's not saying it's all on COVID. He's saying it, it's all it's all really fine. We, we've done a tremendous job, and but for a couple of minor hiccups along the way. And see, that's what I think is, is the idea that's a little bit scary because this idea that what is the reality that's out there? Well, you know, okay, inflation, well, we don't need to worry about inflation. It's, it's just a supply chain. There's, there's not... It's not our policies that have done anything like this. COVID nineteen, well, yeah, maybe maybe we should have done the testing maybe a month earlier or so. But you know, we had all sorts of stuff that was going on. Afghanistan, you know, no problem. And, and I guess I'm just saying that I think, and that this is how I would explain the, these appalling poll numbers is the fact that maybe maybe he created unrealistic. Um, expectations in the beginning. And, and so, you know, maybe it's not fair to hold him responsible for that. But let's say there's these unrealistic expectations that are there. Now you have to figure out, okay, how do you ground the American people more? And is the way out of that to, uh, again, take a page from the Donald Trump playbook that all Democrats hated, and some of us Republicans kind of got concerned about the idea that we're, we're going to go on the attack, and this is it, and the other side is racist, and the other side is trying to do all this stuff, and this is the only reason why I haven't been this incredibly successful president. And by the way, I have been an incredibly successful president. If that's the strategy, I think it is a strategy which is completely and totally you know, doomed, doomed to fail. And it's not certainly the thing that I think people elected Joe Biden on to be the alternate to Donald Trump, the guy that was going to be, again, the the unifier, because I'm not seeing a lot of unity here. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Look, I, I think a year in, it's too soon to proclaim Joe Biden as the, the next Jimmy Carter. I, I think it's too soon to declare it to be a failed presidency. I do think it's fair to say this is a floundering presidency, and anybody who doesn't see that ha, has rose-colored glasses on. I think in, in large part it's floundering because of a couple things. First of all, Joe Biden never had a huge mandate for major changes. This is a country which is very, very split. And it's a country just, you know, that's facing challenges, not just economic challenges, but COVID and the whole sort of thing. But, but Joe Biden, it's not like you've got a, a, an election that was a wave election where all of a sudden you've got like 60 Democratic senators like they had in 2008 during Obama's first year. I mean, what, what happened here is I think he is a president more of happenstance than anything else. He was the alternative to Donald Trump. People were tired of Donald Trump's act, at least a you know, majority of American citizens were, and, and they wanted they wanted something different. Okay, we want some stability, we want some calm, we, we don't want to have the, the chaos. And, and that led Biden in. Biden has not governed in that fashion, though, over the course of, of the year. What you've seen is a dramatic turn to the left. And he's decided, okay, I'm going to use this opportunity. I'm going to give the far left a wish list that it's had for the last 30 or 40 years. Well, maybe you can do that if you've got a clear mandate from the country. But his only mandate, at least in my opinion, from the country was to be somebody other than Donald Trump. 
And, and that's not to say, okay, now we're going to take the country dramatic to the left with spending and spending and spending and spending and spending. Inevitably, you're going to get a pushback. You're going to get a pushback from the other side. And then what's going to happen is you're also going to start to lose independents who say, wait, you know, wait a second. These things we elected you for because we want the consistency. We're tired of the name calling. We, we want all this stuff to stop. And now you're doing all this stuff. You lose them. Can he get it back? Yes. Do I think Biden is a one-term president? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he's. I don't see any way that he runs again. He'd be 82 years old. So regardless of where he is in the polls, I think that, you know, they're, they're going to be passing the baton to, you know, another generation, the next generation sometime soon. But we've still got three years to go. Nobody wants to root against a president. You know, nobody wants to say they want the president to fail. That's the mistake I think the left made during the Trump administration, during George W. Bush. It's the mistake the right made during the Obama years. You know, we want the country to succeed, but if Joe Biden is in fact going to succeed, he needs to come up with a better strategy and then communicate that strategy better. And I haven't heard anything like that coming from the Oval Office. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Why do we care? Why do we care what Summerfest Chief Executive Don Smiley makes in compensation? And, and, and there's a headline story in the Journal Sentinel, and it follows up another report on urban Milwaukee, which is one of the, I think it does a very good job, I've talked about this before, of, of covering like local issues. And both of them have, have stories about, you know, Don Smiley's compensation package. Um, Don Smiley is, of course, the chief executive from Summerfest. According to the most recent filings um, in 2020, he made one about $1.3 million. Let, let's round that up. Up, and he's due to get more because he has five-year incentives that are built into his, his contract. And every five years, if he's still there and he's met his job goals, he, he gets more money. So he, he's paid a lot. There, there, there's no question about it. But when did we start caring about you know what it is that, that people make? I mean, you can look at the salaries of, of athletes. And you can make a, a strong argument that it's just completely out of whack with society. Why are we paying Aaron Rodgers millions and millions of dollars, even though he's great at what he does? But at the end of the day, he, he throws a football or he hands off a football. Why, why are we paying him all that money? You can look at somebody like Giannis, who is such a tremendous player. Why are we paying him tens of millions of dollars? Because at the end of the day, you know, he, he plays basketball, you know, 81 games you know, a, a year, plus whatever it's going to be in the playoffs. Why do we care about like movie stars? My gosh, I can't believe that we paid Tom Cruise this amount of money to do this movie. I can't believe that the salaries were like that. But but obviously there's somebody that's making this decision saying, well, Giannis is worth it, or Aaron Rodgers is worth it, or Christian Yelich is worth it, or Tom Cruise is worth it. That The list go- goes on and on and on. And as long as it's not your money, why do why do people care about this? Now, you know, Don Smiley, who's been a regular guest on on this program, he is, I think, clearly well compensated for what he does. At the same time, though, I can remember Summerfest, and I I've been around here since Summerfest started, and I can remember the I can remember the way Summerfest used to be, where you you had 
almost no permanent stages. You had very few permanent restrooms. It was mostly porta potties and tents and things like that, and it turned into a mud pit whenever it would rain. And over the last, I'd, I'd say particularly the last 15 years, what we've seen is a huge influx of of corporate money and corporate sponsorships. And so now you have the American Family Amphitheater, which is completely redone and is probably set for the next 20 years. You have all these permanent stages and these long-term partnerships that have been built in. And and when they brought, brought Don Smiley in to run Summerfest, that, that was his mission. Bo Black, who ran Summerfest before, and I, you know, Bo used to be on the program as well. I think she did a, a, a great job of of being a, a spokesperson and a front person for, for Summerfest and for touting the bands and for the excitement and things like that. But as far as building the infrastructure of Summerfest to create something, a legacy that was going to be there, you know, after the popular bands had faded, that wasn't Bo's strong point. And I, I don't say that as a criticism because I thought she was great for for her time. They brought Don Smiley in, and Don Smiley, with his background, and used to be the president of the Florida Marlins and things like that, and worked with LPGA Golf, and he was great at finding sponsors and developing that business partnership. And now you look at the Summerfest grounds and where Summerfest is today compared to where it was 20 or 30 years ago, and I, I think people, you, you just wouldn't recognize it if you didn't remember and weren't there. So Smiley makes a, a bunch of money. All right, so the headline is he's awarded $1.29 million compensation in 2020. And you've got some of these politicians that are out there, Alderman Michael Murphy, saying this is out of whack with the marketplace. And Bob Wrongway Bauman, who is almost always wrong on things, well, what's the justification for these kind of increases, you know, given the fact that there is a pandemic? All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I might think you make too much money. You might think I make too much money. We all might think that Christian Yelich or Aaron Rodgers makes too much money or Tom Cruise makes too much money. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you have... You have boards of directors, you have managers that decide what is fair payment and what you need to do to fairly compensate somebody based on their experience and their accomplishments. So Don Smiley, look, my my money isn't going to pay Don Smiley. It's not like he's a public official where you're using taxpayer dollars that that are paying him. So whether it's Don Smiley or, or somebody else, as long as it's not public money that is being used to pay him, should any of us care other than sort of like this chattering class, well, I think $1.2 million is too much, or I, I, you know, some people might say maybe I don't think it's enough. I don't know what it takes and what you have to spend to bring in somebody to run an organization like Summerfest, not just from a year-to-year sort of thing, but moving forward and having the vision to say, okay, this is where we want this festival and this is where we want the land to be. This is not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but for 10 years and 20 years and 30 years down the line. I, I don't know how much you have to spend to bring somebody in that has that that vision to see the successes that are there. That's why you have a board of directors that that does this. And if it's okay with the board of directors, should any of the rest of us care? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we care what Don Smiley makes other than just, oh, this is good gossip, I can't believe that they compensated him over a million dollars. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. 
Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, as long as it's not taxpayer dollars, I, I, I don't understand what this obsession is with, with how much people make. I mean, if I have an arrangement with my bosses at WTMJ that say, okay, Jeff, this is your basic salary, and then we have revenue enhancing. You get you get more money if you meet certain ratings goals, and you get more money if you make certain revenue goals or whatever. That, that's that's between me and, and station management. And if station management's doing a, a bad job in making the assessment, well, okay, then the people they report to can, can toss them out. But otherwise, it, it's really nobody's business. And it's not my business how much the Packers decide to pay Aaron Rogers or the Brewers decide to pay Christian Yelich, and since it's not taxpayer dollars, why is it anybody's? I don't know why is it anybody's decision what the Summerfest board decides to pay. You know Don Smiley. Now, if people think that he's doing a terrible job, well, okay, or he's not meeting his performance goals. That that's a that's one thing. But th- this idea that okay, we're going to hold certain people up and look, I I understand one one point three million dollars compensation plus bonuses on top of that. That's that's a lot of dough. But I don't know what the market bears for somebody with Smiley's experience, what it would cost to replace him, and whether you could find somebody that could do the job as, as well. But th- I'm not tasked to do that. That's what the Summerfest board is. And as long as the dough isn't coming out of my pocket or your pocket, what do we care? 855-616-1620. Lynn in Milton. Lynn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I could not I could not agree with you more on this. I got so upset when I heard you talking about this. I had to pull my car to the side of the road because these elected officials in the city of Milwaukee have bigger fish to fry than worrying about Don Smiley's salary. If they would put their nose to the to the ground and do their job effectively, maybe we wouldn't have so much crime in Milwaukee. And furthermore, Summerfest is a wonderful, wonderful festival, musical festival that brings people together. And if they're so concerned about it, no one's pointing a gun to their head and telling them that they have to attend Summerfest. And honestly, it's it's nobody's business. It's just not any of their concern. If they bring so much revenue into Milwaukee, you would think they would be happy to have him. Yeah, yeah Lynn, th- thanks for calling. Exactly. And, and look, I, I mean, I, I see, I agree. I mean, and and look, I, I understand I have a bias because I, I'm not a personal. I wouldn't consider Don Smiley to be a personal friend, but we're, we're, we are friendly. We we know each other, and and we have mutual friends and stuff. But if Don Smiley was doing a crummy job, I, I'd be the first to say I think he's doing a crummy job. But 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 he he's not. Now I don't know if you could replace. Like I said earlier, I don't know if you could find somebody that could do just as good a job as Don Smiley could do for a hundred thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars. I I don't know what the market bears in that but that's that's why you have the, the compensation board that's why you have the board of directors and they're the ones that know what you have to pay in that industry they're also the ones that end up judging results so from those of us on, on the outside look if it was my money if I was the one you know paying writing the checks if that money was coming out of my pocket in a direct sort of fashion well yeah I, I understand but to me this is kind of like saying okay I, I mean I don't know what you do for a living let's say 
say you sell let's say you sell cars and, and your deal with your 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 deal with Rust Arrow or whatever is okay you're going to get a salary and then you're going to get you know extra money based on the number of cars you sell and you're going to get extra number of money based on this or that or the other thing that's not my business that that's the business of of the car dealer and that's between you and your employer it's between the employer and the employee and if the employer believes that the person is not doing a great job or isn't worth it well then they cut them loose but for those of us on the outside to say well I I don't think that that that's worth it as long as it's not our money that is involved now if it's taxpayer dollars well I I think you know you you have a, a right to say that and I understand why aldermen in Milwaukee who are pulling in I don't know, what is it, 50, 60, 70 grand? I don't even know what they pay aldermen now anymore in Milwaukee. Might look at this and might say, well, my gosh, I'm an alderman in the city of Milwaukee, and, and I'm not making $1.32 million, so that seems to me to be way out of whack. Well, how do you know what, what being in whack is? And if you think you could do a better job in that particular industry, well, resign your office, and then, I don't know, go out and try to get hired by a festival and try to do the job that Smiley has done over the course of the last you know, X number of years. Dave on the south side. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, I don't know if you remember that full black salary from years ago was uh, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, right about that years ago. Yep. And yep I do. That's the comparable job that he's doing. Yeah. Okay. So your point? The, the okay. point will be that. Uh, even with inflation, that's that's uh, a lot of money, Jeff. Holy cow! That's five times for the same job. Yeah. Yeah, well, well th- thanks for call, Dave. I, yes, it, even with inflation, it, it's more. But but there, there, there's a different there's a different skill set. I mean, that that's kind of like saying, all right, um, we paid Henry Aaron. $80,000 a year back when, when he was playing baseball and, and now, you know, we're paying Christian Yelich 9 or $10 million or however much Christian Yelich makes. We paid Johnny Unitas or Bart Starr when he was the quarterback of the Packers. You know, he, he, he made, you know, $100,000 or $80,000 or whatever and now Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is making, you know, ex- tens of millions of dollars or whatever. I mean, I, I think it's always tough to compare apples and oranges and, and I would never, this isn't what I'm saying, this, I, I don't mean to disparage Bo Black in any way, shape or form but but the skill set that Don Smiley brought is much, much different than the skill set that, that Bo Black had. And it's not a knock at all. Like I said earlier, I think Bo Black was a great promoter of Summerfest, did a great job of, of getting it in the public consciousness. If you look, though, one of the reasons I believe, matter of fact, I know that they brought in Smiley was they thought, they, they, they thought they had to have somebody that had a, a vision of, of the festival and, and where, what is it going to look like 20 years from now and, and what are the structures going to be look like look like look Don, Don Smiley doesn't spend his time as a general rule you know booking the bands and things like that that's what Bob Babish does Smiley is out there with the business contacts and developing the partnerships and creating the okay you're going to sponsor this stage you're going to sign a 15 year deal and you're going to put all this money into building this particular stage or this amphitheater and and we're going to work on improving the grounds and the big structure so we have this there years from now but even to your point Davey even if you think okay he's getting paid too much money in relation to Bo Black I don't know maybe you're right maybe you're wrong but we're not the folks that are making that decision I mean the the people in 2022 
who are sitting on that board are the ones who are charged with trying to figure out what the marketplace is like, what the performance has been, and what they have to pay to get somebody of you know that caliber who does what needs to be done. And I guess that's how I just look at it. I'm just whenever I see these stories, I I, I don't I don't hear it from the world of sports. We just uh, oh, or the or the world of entertainment. Boy. This entertainer is getting next millions of dollars for this movie or or whatever, and we say, okay, well that's that's kind of good. But yet, when we look at other stuff like the world of business and all, it's like, well, I think that person's getting too much money. Well, I, I maybe. I don't know. Maybe you're not getting enough. Maybe you're getting too much. I, I don't know. But that's between you and your employer. And as long as it to me, it's not public money that is involved in any sort of direct fashion. I guess my attitude is kind of, well, I'm going to defer to the the people that end up, you know, making those decisions. Um, somebody says, Jeff, don't you think that the festival could get somebody to do that job at half the salary? Don't know. Don't know. But. But but I'm not the one that has to make that decision. And and why does it why does it matter if the people that do make the decision are happy and satisfied with the job Smiley is doing? Why why would you say okay well we're going to get rid of you and we're going to try to find somebody that will you know make half the salary? Jeff, I really don't care what he makes. If I don't agree with what people are getting paid in a certain area, I, I don't patronize the business. I think overcompensation for executives, athletes, celebrities in this society, in this country, is a societal issue, and it should be adjusted, you know, throughout. Well, that that's the the idea. Um, you know, other people are saying, well, I think you could get someone to do it for much much less. Well, e- easy to say, but. You know, it's easy for all of us to say when we're on the outside looking in. Bottom line is, I guess if I'm going to be outraged about high salaries, it's it's going to be less about what the director of Summerfest is getting and maybe more about what some other people are getting paid. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Just because you might be right doesn't necessarily mean that people should care about your opinion. It doesn't mean you should offer your opinion on, on different things. Uh, Robin Voss is the Speaker of the Assembly, and he, he's a very controversial figure, but on balance, I think Robin does a pretty good job. Robin decided to weigh into the state of Wisconsin politics yesterday, and that in and of itself has become extremely controversial. Now, right now, we all know that Ron Johnson has announced that he is running for a third term. Now, Ron Johnson delayed making that announcement for, in my opinion, way too long, but but now he's in the race. Rebecca Clayfish, former lieutenant governor, she announced that she was running for governor, well, months and months ago, and she has been actively campaigning for months and months. She's raised a a bunch of money, I think over $3 million. She's been in full um, campaign mode, traveling all around the state, meeting people, etc., developing alliances. So she's been all in on the governor's race for a long time. Well, Enter Kevin Nicholson. Kevin Nicholson, nice guy, former Marine, who ran unsuccessfully for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate back uh, a couple years ago, 2018, and he finished second to Leah Vukmir. Leah Vukmir went on to lose in the race against uh, Tammy Baldwin. Well, Nicholson 
has kind of been on, on the periphery of, of Wisconsin politics, trying to keep his name out there as a viable candidate. And Nicholson had said before, he said, well, look, here, here's the deal. I, I'm interested in running for U.S. Senate. But if if Ron Johnson runs again, I'm not going to challenge Ron Johnson in a Republican primary. And if he decides he's not going to run, he's going to run, then then maybe I'll I'll switch over and I'll run for governor, hmm. which is kind of an interesting theory. It, I, you can wonder whether somebody has this real dedication for the particular position or whether one is just somewhat being opt- opportunistic or whatever. But, but in any event, now what's happened is that, that Ron Johnson has announced that he's going to run, and Kevin Nicholson is, you know, um, talking very, very much like, you know, he's going to run as a Republican candidate for governor against Rebecca Clayfish. All right, that that's that's sort of the background on this. In other words, it's kind of like, well, all right, I really wanted to be the U.S. senator, but that's not going to happen. So I tell you what, I'll, I'll take a second place. I'll, I'll run to be governor. So um, Robin Voss, you know, he's talking about this, and he says, look, if Kevin Nicholson is listening, you need not run for governor. He says in an interview in downtown, you know, Madison. You know, his point was. Look, I, I think that this is there's nothing to be gained here. Rebecca Clayfish is the GOP's best option, and I think you know it's best if you would just kind of stay out of this. Um, Nicholson, like I say, is expected to announce his plans soon, maybe as early as next week. Uh, Nicholson's response is, um, "Thanks." Representative Voss, for the political advice, our elections are a mess. Law and order is eroding. Schools are failing. How about you focus on doing your job? All right. So his Nicholson's response is essentially, all right, just to stay out of this. Don't tell me what to do. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I lump this in the category of, well, the advice might be sound and might be correct, that by that I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Becky Clayfish is going to be the Republican nominee. She's developed and shown a commitment to wanting to be the governor of the state, and maybe she can win, maybe she can't win, but she's been out there actively campaigning for a job that she certainly wants, and, and she's you know certainly indicating that she's all in on this. Kevin Nicholson, again, nice guy has a bit of statewide name recognition, but, you know, he was kind of on the fence. It was like, well, maybe I want to be senator. If I can't be senator, I'll, I'll be the governor. You know, so he, he's thinking about, you know, running. I understand Voss saying, you know, I don't think this is going to help the Republican Party. Um, we, we don't necessarily need a contested primary. And I think maybe built into that is an idea that, that Kevin, you're, you're not going to win out of this. But, you know, but he offers that thought. And then Nicholson's response is, I, I don't need your advice. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I see this two ways. First of all, I think this is sound advice. I, I think a, a primary challenge at this point in time, I think it's going to be and I think if Kevin Nicholson gets in the race, he's going to lose big time, um, just like he lost to uh, just like he lost to Leah Vukmir in 2018. That being said, though, if he wants to run, I, I think he should feel free to run. And I, I don't think that elected officials should be necessarily saying publicly, "Hey, hey, stay out, 
stay out of the race. Maybe that's something that you go to them privately and say, you know what, you know, she's got all this support lined up. Where do you think the support's going to come from? As a matter of fact, some of your big donors from before are already committed to giving you know, her money. Maybe you do that privately. So I think Robin Voss's advice was sound, but at the same time, I don't know. He didn't want it. It wasn't intended to be offered to Nicholson. He wasn't listening. 855-616-1620. I think Voss should have stayed out of this. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and I mean, I don't know that contested primaries are, are bad things, you know, necessarily. I don't think elections are meant to be coronations. And if you've got candidates that want to invest their money and their effort in doing it, I, I, I think my general response is go with God and do it um, as long as... You can remember Ronald Reagan's in the Republican text, the 11th Commandment, which is, you know, speak no ill of other Republicans. If it's one of these scorched earth earth type of things, well, then Tony Evers is the only one that benefits. But if Kevin Nicholson wants to run, I I, I would say, why not? I don't think he can win, but if he wants to run, go for it. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 1620. Jeff, I'm working real. I want to text her says, look, if this were me, I'd let Rebecca run for governor. That's the job she wants. Let Johnson run in 2022, just like he is. And Kevin Nicholson, if he wants to be U.S. Senator, maybe he should announce that he's going to run after Tammy for Tammy Baldwin's seat in 2024 and then go on and have an amazing ethical campaign. Now, that is not a, a, a bad strategy that's out there. And again, I want to be real clear on this. If Kevin Nicholson wants to run for governor, let Kevin Nicholson run for governor. I don't think he's going to win. I, I think it, it's going to be sort of like tilting at windmills on an expensive sort of race. But I think he has the right to do it, and I think Robin Voss should have probably kind of kept his mouth shut on this particular thing. 855-616-1620. I also don't think contested primaries are necessarily all that bad. They create interest in a particular race. Let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi there. I think uh, Becky's got too much baggage. Um, number one, Foxconn, that's going to get thrown at her continually because she was part of that. And that's a disaster. And number two, if you remember when she was lieutenant governor, all we ever heard Scott Walker say is that Becky's going to go out there and do these cold calls and bring all these jobs to Wisconsin. Well, that never happened either. So she's got a lot of baggage, and that stuff's not going away. Foxconn's still sitting there empty. The one downtown Milwaukee is empty. Oh, take it back. There's always one car in the parking lot. I walk by it every single day. It's a disaster. And she is part of the architectural firm on that one. And that's not going away. The money being spent on that is not going away. So she's got to figure that out, and Nicholson's going to hammer her on that. Well, th- thanks for calling, Mike. I, I, I think, I, first of all, I, I'm not sure that Nicholson's going to hammer her on Foxconn because the, the Foxconn was something that had widespread support from a lot of politicians on both sides of the aisle when that whole thing was going on. So if you want to say it didn't work out like it was planned, I think that that's a fair sort of comment. But I, I don't know that that's going to be an issue in a primary. Maybe it's going to be an issue in, in a general election campaign. In addition, I think you're being way too hard on Rebecca Clayfish. I think she's going to be able to point to a lot of different success that she had in bringing businesses in during those years. But, you know, you, you talk about, I mean, this idea that, oh, she's going to be you know, hung with the Scott Walker administration. I, I think you 
perhaps misapprehend how popular I believe Scott Walker still is. And I understand there's some people that are, oh, I, I can't believe you say that. Don't you realize he lost? There, there's, look, there's no question in my mind that in, in 2018, Scott Walker would have won the governorship handily, but for two things. The biggest, well, maybe three. First of all, I, I think he hurt his brand when he ran unsuccessfully for president in 2015. Uh, that, that, I think, really turned off a lot of Wisconsin voters. Secondly, I think that uh, the, the Donald Trump, Donald Trump was a drag on the ticket in 2018 across the country. There were all sorts of people who I, I think were motivated. They, they couldn't vote against Donald Trump in 2018, but what they could do is run out and vote against anybody that had an R after their name. And, and that's, that's pretty much what ended up happening in what was, I think, fairly described as a wave election. You know, were it not for the motivation that came out of primarily Dane County and to a lesser extent Milwaukee County, I, I think Scott Walker would have still been governor. The third factor was, and credit where credit is due, some Democrats understood that in order to kind of juice the vote, what they did in some heavily Democratic-leaning areas is they put the uh, pot referendum on. Let's legalize marijuana as a way of, of turning out voters that they believe, hey, they're going to come out to vote for you know legalized pot, and you're going to be more likely to vote for Tony Evers than you would be for Scott Walker. And that's, I think, what, what turned it out, out to happen. But, I mean, I continue to believe that, that Evers is... is Evers is somewhat of an accident of history, just like I think Joe Biden is in somewhat an accident of history. Joe Biden, as we were talking about earlier, to me, he was just the anti-Trump. It could have been anybody on on the ballot as long as that person wasn't too terribly scary to you know the the independent voters. So I mean, I don't I don't know that Rebecca Clayfish has all sorts of baggage and things like that that are out there. But again, if Kevin Nicholson wants to run, th- that's fine. I don't see him winning. But that's what you have elections for. I do like one of our texters that makes the point and says, look, you know, one of the things that I always one of the things that I always like stop and think is if you're going to run for something, I think you should really explain. You should be able to explain why it is that you are running for that in, in one or two sentences. And, and you should have a, a passion for doing that as opposed to, well, this is what I really want to do. If Kevin Nicholson, for example, really wants to be a U.S. senator. If that's if that's what his, his dream is, fine. I, I respect that. I think he'd probably be a great U.S. senator. Maybe like one of our texters says, what the mission should be is, okay, then just say, hey, I'm getting into this race. I'm looking at going after Tammy Baldwin two years from now. That That's where I'm going to focus my time and energy. If you want to be a U.S. senator, that's great. But the idea that, well, okay, um, I, I really wanted to be a U.S. senator, but now that Ron Johnson's in, that's not open. So, okay, you know, choice number two, now I guess. I'll run for governor. Well, I don't know. Maybe you want somebody that really has a passion for wanting to be governor as opposed to somebody who has a passion for just wanting to be elected. Just saying. In any event, I think Robin Voss should have probably stayed out of it. I don't think a contested primary is necessarily bad. At the same time, I don't disagree with some of the sentiments that Robin Voss offered. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. Okay, here's an interesting concept. Now, a lot of people are frustrated with the out-of-control crime in the, the city of Milwaukee. I want to tell you about what one community is doing in another part of the country to deal with it. Atlanta 
which has a population of about half a million people, roughly the same size as Milwaukee, maybe slightly smaller. Atlanta has the same urban crime problem that Milwaukee has. Worse in some respects, maybe not quite as bad as others, but it's still pretty bad. There is a section of Atlanta. It's part of the city. It's called Buckhead. And Buckhead, uh, Buckhead, Georgia, again, part of the city, but one of the nicer parts of the city as far as economics go. It's where, I don't know, the, the, higher, the, the, more, the wealthier people live in Buckhead. Buckhead is a community of about 100,000 in the city of Atlanta, which is overall about 500,000. So, I mean, imagine, I don't know, one of the nicer areas of Milwaukee. Well, here's what's going on. The people in Buckhead, this is their response to the out-of-control crime in Atlanta. They want to secede from the city. They want to form their own new city outside of Atlanta, and they want to hire their own police force and things like that because they feel that by doing that, they'll be able to provide a higher level of public safety. Now, you need approval from the Georgia state legislature to do that, but they're moving towards that. There may very well be a referendum that's put out there to ask the citizens of Buckhead how they feel about seceding from the city. Now, I was kind of thinking about this. You know, what? it, it really it, it wouldn't work in, in Wisconsin, particularly in Milwaukee, because let's, first of all, the, the problem in Milwaukee with crime is not the police department. That, that's just the, the reality. The problem with crime isn't that the cops aren't, aren't there, and it's not that the cops aren't being aggressive. The problem in Milwaukee is that you have the county government. The district attorney is, is a disaster and has been for a while. The Milwaukee County court system is a disaster. So if you had the suburbs around the, the, the city of Milwaukee, let's say you had the suburbs in Milwaukee County that decided, okay, we've, we've had enough of the city of Milwaukee's crime and, and we want to secede, well, that, that really wouldn't do anything because you'd still be under Milwaukee County. The, the only way that you'd actually be able to accomplish something would be if, for example, you had all these suburbs that decided they wanted to secede from Milwaukee County and form their, their own county and have their own judges and have their own court commissioners and have their own district attorney. And as a practical matter, we, we know that that's never going to end up happening. But it is interesting how some of these communities are saying, look, enough is enough. And by the way, like I say, in Milwaukee, the problem isn't that the cops aren't doing a good job. I think that the cops are doing a pretty good job. I, I just think that their hands are tied too much when it comes to all the enablers that are out there, and you've got a district attorney's office that doesn't take crime seriously, and you've got a juvenile court system which is out of control, and you've got a, an adult court system which is out of control as well. So, you know, seceding from the, the seceding from the city of Milwaukee to say take some of the neighborhoods, you know, in Milwaukee that are upset with the out of control crime rate, that's not going to solve anything. Like I say, you'd have to like start from scratch. What's the better way, and I do think this is going to be one of these interesting things, especially after the mayor's election and after the elections next November, is going to be whether the population in Milwaukee County is going to say we can stand two more years, say, of 
John Chisholm as the district attorney because Tony Evers isn't going to remove him. And in, in reality, even if it's Rebecca Clefish or if it's um, Kevin Nicholson who, who wins the governor's race next November, I, I think it's unlikely that they're going to move in and remove John Chisholm. The way Chisholm is going to be removed isn't by people seceding from the area. It's going to be not by the governor removing him from office. It's going to be whether he either decides to voluntarily resign or he's faced with, say, a recall, and that recall pressures him to do what the late Tom Amitt did back in the heart of the Milwaukee County pension scandal 20 years ago, which is recognizing that he would be recalled and would lose a recall election. He, he voluntarily steps down. Don't know that you're going to see any motivation for a recall against John Chisholm because, as we've seen when it comes to crime, it is amazing what people in the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County are willing to tolerate. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I'm curious as to whether anybody thinks this is going to make any difference. Um, the, the Olympics are, are coming up, and I'm not sure that, I don't know how much people are paying attention, they're paying to the Olympics, but you know, February 4th is the opening ceremony. And the Olympics this year, of course, um, they are in, in China, creating some controversy because of the, the human rights violations that run rampant in in China. And as protest, and I say that in sort of quotation marks, what you have is the U.S. government's already said that they're not going to send some diplomats, but they're going to send all the competitors, and, and that's that's all well and good. So you've got the Olympics that are starting on, on February 4th. There have been a number of controversies, and we've talked about it, about in the era of, of COVID and the you know Omicron variant, how do you keep the competitors safe? And so these are essentially, in many respects, going to be Olympics that, that nobody is going to attend. You know, we, we've already heard the stories here about how when we had the ice, the figure skating, not figure skating, the speed skating championships at, at, at the Pettit Ice Center, you know, family and friends weren't allowed to attend, even though the same skaters who would competing would then be picked up by mom and dad and go home and live with mom and dad. Mom and dad couldn't come in and watch them compete. Uh, that's that's kind of how we uh, approach it. Sometimes we pass these rules without thinking about whether or not the rules make any sense or not. But anyhow, NBC is going to be covering the Olympics. And, of course, this is a big deal because any television network that has the Olympics, NBC included, they, they sell advertising time and they make a ton of money. They need to make a ton of money because they spend a ton of money to get the, the rights to the Olympics. Well, as the Olympics are getting ready to start, NBC has now announced that the people that cover the games, the, the commentators, they are not going to be on site. In other words, they're not going to send their various sports teams to cover the events in person. Rather, all the coverage is going to do come from, from Stamford, Connecticut. The, the NBC station. So the people that are doing the commentary are going to be watching it on tape, or not on tape, but they're going to be watching it on, on television, just like 
everybody else would be watching it on television. Um, here, here's what they say. They say, well, um, the announced teams for these Olympics, including figure skating, will be calling events from our Stanford, Connecticut facility due to COVID concerns. We'll still have a large presence on the ground in Beijing, and our coverage of everything will be first rate as usual. That's what the people are saying. But our plans are evolving by the day. And they are for most media companies covering the Olympics. Broadcasting teams for figure skating, alpine skiing, snowboarding had been expected to be in Beijing, but those plans have now been canceled. The network's Olympic host, Mike Tirico, will be in China for the opening ceremonies and the first couple days of the games, but then he's going to bail, head to Los Angeles to host the February 13th Super Bowl, which is also on NBC this year. So in other words, this is going to be another one of these years of the not-in-person Olympics. Now this is, of course, what lots of with lots of sports media companies that covered sports, that this is this is what you know happened a lot over the course of the last couple of years. Whether it was you know baseball in particular, you would have announced teams that would not travel with the teams. Rather, they'd sit back in in Milwaukee, for example, and watch the the feed of the game and, and then do the do the broadcast you know from the studios in Milwaukee same thing happened uh, last year with basketball you know there was a command center that was set up at I think it was at, at Fiserv Forum and so you had the commentators that would be there instead of being live on set our number 855-616-1620 that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line see I'm I'm really intrigued by this because I continue to believe that ultimately this is going to be the wave of the future. The justification now is COVID. You know, we're we're concerned, you know, COVID is running rampant, so we don't want to send our teams, you know, onto a particular location. We don't want to run the risk of traveling. We don't want to expose them to, to COVID. At the same time, it's also a lot cheaper for these companies to make the decision to say, well, okay, why do we need to have somebody on site? We just have them commenting back from a a studio. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So whether it's the Olympics or football or basketball or baseball or hockey, is it important in your mind for the sportscasters to actually be on site? Do do the Brewers radio announcers or do the Brewers TV announcers need to travel with the team? Do they need to fly to Pittsburgh or can you do the job just as well by just watching the thing on TV? Or even if you can't do it just as well, can you do it well enough so that the public isn't going to know a difference? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that COVID is bringing this about. Do not be surprised over the next couple of years if, just like more and more people are working remotely from home and they're probably never going back to the office, I don't because they, they, people prefer to work from home and the companies are finding that there, there's not really a drop-off if they do work from home. I, I think this Olympic model is going to be true more and more why spend the money to send people halfway across the world if you can have them do pretty much the same thing by sitting in a studio, in this case in Stanford, Connecticut? All right, as a viewer, do you think you're going to miss anything? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, NBC announcing yesterday or today that th- this will be another virtual Olympics. By that I mean other than the, they're going to send camera people and stuff to, to film the Olympics, but all the commentators are now going to be in Stamford, Connecticut, doing the commentary o- over, again, I assume they'll set up a number of different TV monitors. Now, what they're saying is this is concerns about COVID. I'm sure there's some element about that, but by the way, they're going to save a ton of money by not having to send announcing crews halfway across the world. Is this going to impact the viewer experience? Kevin in Shawano. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Jeff, 10 degrees in Channel. How are you doing today? <laughs> I am doing very well. Sorry about the 10 degrees. I'm afraid it's going to get colder before it gets warmer. Unfortunately, I think you're right. Hey, I, I just wanted to call. I worked in radio for 13 years doing play-by-play, and you just can't compare the atmosphere of a live crowd to sitting and watching it at home. The people that are at home are expecting you to be their um, excitement. You're you're the voice of excitement, and you can't do the same thing at home that you can from being live and in person. You know, it's you know, Kevin. I understand what you're saying, but I listened to a lot of basketball games and a lot of baseball games over the last year on both radio and TV that were being called by announcers that were at remote locations. And maybe maybe it's just me, but i got to tell you, I couldn't tell the difference. Well, and I think part of that is because a lot of the times they were doing games with no fans there. But when you, when you take a game and you have 40,000 fans at a game, and that excitement starts building, that starts rubbing off on you, and it's going to reflect in your voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. I guess, I guess maybe. I mean, I, I think you, you, can make an, you can make an argument, and I don't really disagree, that, that being there live and in person is, you know, ha, has a value. I would argue the real value of, of traveling with the team, for example, is, is the availability outside of the game. Not so much just can, can you make the call of the game, but the fact that you, you get to go into the dugout or you know, you're know you in the locker room and you're interacting and you're on the, the team plane or whatever and you're talking to some of the players and you're getting some insight. But of course, at least the way it stands now in the world of COVID, that, that doesn't happen anyways. I mean, I don't, I think, you know, in general, you know, locker rooms are, are closed. It's not like the reporters are going in like they used to. And and all the press availability is 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 governed by you know you bring out the particular player and they address the media collectively. At least that's the way I, I believe that most of this operates nowadays. Th- those days of, of being you know in the dugout. I loved the opening day broadcasts that we used to do when you know we'd get to stand in the dugout and actually they'd bring over the players and you'd get to like interview them firsthand. I, I don't. I mean, I don't know what our opening day coverage plan is going to look like, you know, March 31st, but I, I don't think that anybody's going to be in the dugout because I just I think that that's just the, one of the things that the pandemic has created. Might that change at some point in time? Well, well maybe. But as, as far it is interesting because, again, as far as watching and or listening to the broadcasts, I honestly can't tell. And, and, and maybe that's just a credit to the, the quality of the announcers that are out there. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? I tend to agree with the first caller. Um, I can't imagine Wayne Larrabee doing a Packer game from his living room. Uh, we got a great announcer here in Chicago for Bulls game named Chuck Sworsky, and I can't imagine him doing that from his living room or a studio. Um, I just think it does add 
uh, intangible, you know, thing to a game when a viewer knows that the person is there watching it, reporting as, as it happens. I know, you know, what a, a person sees when they're reporting it, not live. You know, they have a good view, maybe even a better view than the average viewer. But I just think there's something visceral about the person being there, reporting it as it is, getting excited, you know, feeling the energy of the crowd. I think that's very important. Do you think the fact that, let, let's talk about the upcoming Olympics, do you think the fact that the reporters, figure skating, which is, you know, women's figure skating is one of the big highlight things, do you think the ratings will be any less at all because the commentators are going to be in Stamford, Connecticut instead of in Beijing? Probably not. Because um, yeah. people that love the Olympics like myself will watch it no matter what because, um, you know, we want to see how the athletes do. But uh, I just think it adds something, um, you know, something that you really can't put a dollar amount on having a person in their lives. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, Mike. And, and I, I think if we were to be putting this conversation to, if we were to be asking this about to, to you know, any of the, the people that are used to traveling with the teams, the broadcasters, that they would say exactly what you're saying. That they would say exactly the same thing, that, that even though it's a pain in the butt to be on the road. And, and that's the thing. You, you talk to broadcasters. It's, it's the travel that, that gets tough. And it's not that... Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's nice travel, I guess, and, you know, you're, you're, you're not going through airports. You're on private jets and things like that as a general rule. But it's still, it, it's still tough travel. I mean, you, let's take baseball. You, 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 play a, you play a home game on a, on a Sunday afternoon in Milwaukee, and then you're oh, – I'll give you a better example. You, you play a night game in, in Milwaukee on a Thursday – and then, you know, you, you hop on the plane at midnight, and yes, it's a private charter plane, and yes, it's nice, and yeah, you don't have to go through the TSA things. It's a different sort of world. But then you, you, you land in Cleveland at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then you're at your hotel at 4.30. That, the glamour of that goes out the window pretty quickly and pretty fast. 855-616-1620. Matt in Merton. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Matt. Um, hi. Thank you. Um, the Olympics, I think, is interesting because you're probably right. NBC probably thinks this Olympics is not going to get the coverage that they need to, to warrant the dollar investment. But I would challenge you, and I think your first caller was right on in your second one, with, imagine listening to a Brewer game without Euchre. I, I can't even imagine that. I mean, he he makes that game exciting and electric with with the puns that he throws in there, the interviews before, the interviews after, and his knowledge. And I think that's important. I mean, you can say the same thing with Paschke. I can't imagine watching a, listening to a Brewer game, a Bucks game, or a Packer game, frankly, without having people live. Otherwise, it's kind of like a movie. You might as well watch it whenever you want. It's really not nearly as exciting as being there, and I'm a huge fan, and I think I would miss that greatly. The other thing I might say is maybe that's okay. a uh, well, age but, but, thing. I am a little bit older, but I definitely would I'd miss it dearly. Well, did you notice? Though, I mean, because because keep in mind that's that's what happened over the last year or two. You know, it, it wasn't you know during the height of COVID. That's exactly that the the announced teams did not travel with the team. They were live when the games were at home but you know they were they were sitting in in studios you know doing the broadcasts when the games were on the road did you notice a material difference you know honestly i'm not sure i can say i did but i would notice i would say this to that 
again, there were no fans in the stands. So there was really, you feel that energy come through those announcers when you when they're at that game, at least I do. And I think, look what happened as soon as uh, we were able to get back to live games where people could actually go to them, even at 25 or 50%, those things were selling out instantly, and now everything is sold out. People need to be with people, and I th- in my opinion, and I think people really love to hear that live interaction. Yeah, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Again, I, I don't. Yes, I, I don't know. I, I think that this is. I do not be surprised if this is the wave of of the future. And, and like so many things, I think sometimes COVID is a legitimate justification for what they're doing. But at the same time, there's also other factors as well. And and, and finances are are a big deal. And I think this is something that a lot of broadcasters are going to start looking at, and it's going to be, look, is there really a material difference? Do we need to put people on the road? Because that's a a huge expense that's out there. You know, putting somebody, you know, in the hotels and sending somebody out there on the road and all, that's, the the question becomes, you know, can you save, can you save money? I mean, I don't, I don't know what the cost is going to be, but let's say, let's say, you know, for a a radio station, it's, you know, $100,000 a year, $150,000 a year, or whatever that is. You sit there and you say, Okay, well, do we do we need to have that cost of the air travel and all that other stuff, and can we save the money? Um, I, I think that that's going to be one of the decisions that's going to be made. Now, look, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm I'm the big believer in like live and local and things like that, and, and I think it's important to have live voices that are, that are there. In this case, I, I will say that, like I say, I I did not notice a difference. I for most of the sports that I watch. I could not tell the difference between whether or not the announcers were actually in the stadium or whether the announcers were like in some studio somewhere looking at the different monitors. But this is going to be an interesting test for the Beijing Olympics because, you know, if lots of people notice and start to complain, maybe they'll rethink it. If they don't, you know, don't be surprised if, especially when the Olympics are halfway around the world, don't be surprised if this is a way that the networks decide they can save some money. Let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute, and we'll find out what Eric Bilstadt has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.